So you may have heard a bunch of new names related to this Trump documents case. We have Trump's aide, Walt Nada, special counsel Jack Smith, and of course, this judge overseeing it all, Eileen Cannon. This is my colleague, Amber Phillips. She's a politics reporter for The Post. So Trump faces 37 charges related to his handling of classified documents. Authorities allege that he took them out of the White House when he was supposed to give them back, and then that he hid them and then lied about having them to investigators. And it's serious because authorities say classified documents are supposed to be kept under lock and key to protect the military, spies, uh, secrets the United States has, all to keep America safe. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Rhonda Colvin, your guest host today. It's Wednesday, June 14th. Today we have a who's who in the Trump documents case. We'll get you caught up on everything you need to know about the judge, Trump's legal team, and his mysterious aide who is now a co-defendant. So, Amber, we weren't able to see inside the courthouse yesterday when this all happened, but let's talk about who was there with Trump. First, his legal team. What did that look like? Trump actually struggled, Rhonda, the day before this indictment to get a legal team together. That's for a couple different reasons. Trump's lawyers went on the defensive, forcefully saying he did nothing wrong in a bunch of news outlets last week. I mean, look, anytime you advise a client that they've been indicted, Uh, when they know it's just fundamentally wrong. You know, I know all attorneys go on the air and say, my client's innocent. And then after the trial, we're going to win the appeal. Well, here he is innocent. But then the indictment was unsealed. Two of his lawyers quit. They up and left the case. We don't know exactly why, but I think it's fair to read between the lines and take an educated guess that this indictment is very serious and the charges laid out were very clear. So because of that, Trump had just a couple days to scramble to try to find a legal team who wanted to represent him and had to be someone in good standing with the Bar Association in Florida. He ended up finding a lawyer named Todd Blanche, who was there representing him. And then alongside Trump was his loyal aide and now co-defendant, Walt Nada. And why is Walt Nada becoming such an interesting figure in all of this? He's this shadow of Trump, really, that very few people knew about. He's certainly not a national name until he was listed in this indictment. So who is he? He is Trump's bagman, essentially. So he's been by Trump's side since the early days of his presidency. And then he stayed with him after Trump moved to Mar-a-Lago. Our WAPO colleagues call him the aide who stayed. And his job was a little bit of everything. So wherever Trump needed to be, whatever he needed day to day, Walt was there. He he was very loyal to Trump. Uh, and he still is. He's still even being indicted as a co-conspirator in this case for ostensibly lying to protect the former president. He's by Trump's side. He was by Trump's side after Trump made a stop at a, at a Cuban restaurant on his way out of Miami after Trump was arraigned. Are you ready? Food for everyone. Food for everyone. So the indictment alleges, and here's why Walt's key, is that his fingers are all over these classified documents, literally moving boxes for Trump to different places throughout Mar-a-Lago. At one point, the indictment alleges, Walt snapped a photo of a box that had spilled onto the floor with classified document in it, and he sent it to another colleague. Well, (laughs) authorities would argue you should have called the police at that time. 
so investigators allege that that this low-level aide, who was also very close and intimately involved in Trump's day-to-day life, knew Trump had classified documents, even after this bright red line that investigators drew in the case when they issued a subpoena in May. And that's when the government demanded them back with the force of a legal subpoena. And they allege that Walt at that time actually lied to investigators when they asked him point blank, do you know where the documents are? And he said, I I wish I could help you, but I can't. I don't know. I like that you pointed out that our colleagues are are calling him the aide who stayed, because that is important. If you look at the post-Trump presidency, there have been aides, close people in his inner circle who have left or uh, become witnesses or testified. I'm thinking about the January 6th committee and how there are people close to Trump who told all they knew about that day. Are we able to see any indication of how Walt may approach this case moving forward? Will he flip on the former president? Could that happen? And I think it's fair to point out that all of you, this is other aides, Rhonda, who ended up testifying to authorities about many Trump's legal issues and congressional investigations, did decide I'm I'm not going to be an ally to the president or that they feared some kind of legal repercussions for not testifying about what they knew. I think the shining example of that is Trump's former lawyer and, and close confidant, Michael Cohen, who ended up becoming a massive Trump critic. Okay, so Walt will get thrown under the bus. And and going to jail, but just for a little bit, not not longer like authorities had alleged, uh, for lying to Congress about what he knew related to Trump and, and how he ran his business. If there's anything that I can do, I would look straight into the camera and say, Walt, I know you're watching. Run. Run as fast as you can, my friend, right? And as a former military guy, I know you know how to run quickly. Run as quickly as you can because Donald Trump will throw you under the bus faster than you could possibly imagine. And so back to Walt, his job is not to talk to the media. He's not like a lawyer or a press secretary. He's the shadow behind Trump all the time, carrying his bags. You see pictures of him always hunched over a cell phone, maybe handing a cell phone or something else to Trump while he's on the golf course. So his job isn't to talk to the media, it's to help Trump day to day. And we still see him by Trump's side, even after the two are indicted. Okay, so next, let's talk about the judge in the case, Eileen Cannon. What do we know about her and why is her role being deemed so controversial? She's a new federal judge. She's a Trump appointee who just got the job in 2020. So she's only been on the bench down there in Southern Florida for a couple of years. And because of where she sits, it's a likelihood that anything to do with Mar-a-Lago will get assigned to her. It gets randomly assigned the way these federal court cases work in Florida. So why is she controversial? She got on the bench and almost immediately made a very controversial decision last year. That's when she ruled in favor for Trump to temporarily keep these classified documents from the FBI. This was after the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, said, we got all this government documents and data back. And then Judge Eileen Cannon comes in and makes this ruling that many legal experts said was too deferential to the former president. It was as if she was treating him as if he were the president and still had a right to have these classified documents. That set back the government's investigation until they appealed it to a higher court, a conservative-leaning court. And this court overruled Judge Cannon, saying she just overstepped her bounds and made the wrong decision. So 
she just became, among those who follow politics, this household name and among Trump's critics, this image of someone trying to grease the wheels to help the president avoid legal troubles in this very serious case. And now, as luck would have it for former President Donald Trump, she's assigned the case again. She'll have lots to say now over key details of the trial, like where, when, is it before, after the presidential election? Is it during his nominating process? And she could even throw out charges. She's the judge. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's helpful to understand that she is a key figure in how this case will move forward from this point on. Of course, yesterday involved a magistrate judge who processed both Trump and Nada, but she could be the whole key to this entire case moving forward. She could. I, I was looking into, because we're all trying to be experts, right, about how a federal courthouse works now that the former president is indicted with federal charges for the first time ever. And I, so I was looking yesterday into what role she plays. And our colleagues have done some great reporting on this. And then what prosecutors can do if they think she's ruling unfairly in favor of Trump again. And the answer is not much. She could recuse herself by saying, listen, I, I think there's a reasonable expectation of doubt that, that I might not be fair just in the public's eye. I've been heavily criticized for my previous decision. I, why don't I just step back in the interest of preserving the fairness of the judicial process and how the public perceives it? So she could do that, but it's up to her. She's made absolutely no motion to do that at all. When it gets down to sentencing, if we ever got that far, if Trump gets convicted by a jury and it's up to her to decide whether he spends time in jail and for how long, if prosecutors feel like she sentenced him unfairly, they could then appeal that decision. But overall, the takeaway is she has a lot of authority in this case. So I want to talk a little bit about special counsel Jack Smith. There was a lot of interest in him in the past week. He's a figure who a lot of people have heard his name but didn't know what he looked like. On Friday, he gave uh, sort of a, a press uh, conference with no questions, but he addressed the press and talked about the indictment that had been unsealed. This indictment was voted by a grand jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. And I invite everyone to read it in full, to understand the scope and the gravity of the crimes charged. And when he arrived in Miami before the arraignment, if you saw photos of him, he was wearing uh, shorts, khaki shorts, a polo. It, it looked a lot like probably a lot of people who are flying on a Miami flight, ready for vacation. But yet he is taking on this historical case. What stands out to you about Jack Smith? Yeah, the fact that, he, like you said, Rhonda, he's this not well-known name. But he's actually the lead investigator in not one but two federal investigations mm -hmm. into Trump. This one about classified documents. And then Trump and his allies' efforts to overturn the 2020 election and the January 6th attack on the Capitol. That one's proceeding largely quiet behind the scenes. Our colleagues have reports going a little bit slower than this classified documents case. But he is... The longtime federal prosecutor, he has this reputation as this no-nonsense guy. He's a seasoned investigator. And his former job was a war crimes prosecutor in The Hague. And he actually resigned to take this job, to look into Trump. And I want to step back as to why we have a special counsel in the first place. Normally, the Justice Department handles criminal investigations, 
But when Trump announced he was running for president this fall against Biden, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed Smith to run these investigations. The idea being he's the special counsel who still answers to Garland, but but he's kind of outside of the Justice Department. He can set up his own team and have a bit of independence. And the hope from the Biden administration was that whatever he came up with in his investigation would be seen as not politically charged. Of course, Trump is doing everything he can to close that gap with the public by arguing that that he's just no better than, than a Biden appointee and that he's politically motivated. And uh, some of the very early polls I've seen, Rhonda, suggest that that's having a little bit of impact on the public and how they perceive these charges. Uh, but I think you point out that despite all of that criticism from President Trump and being attacked, uh, and he seems like he wants to develop a quiet but firm presence in this case. So, for example, when the indictment was unsealed Friday, he made a very rare public appearance. There's very few photos of him. He doesn't go before the cameras, but he went before the cameras. And like you said, he took no questions, but he urged Americans to read the indictment and he said no one's above the law. He wanted to really emphasize the strength of the case that his team developed against the former president. And then I love this quote he told the New York Times. If I were the sort of person who could be cowed, I would find another line of work. After the break, we're going to hear from Trump supporters outside of the courthouse and talk about whether these charges could influence how voters feel about the former president. We'll be right back. So, Amber, our colleague Danielle Paquette was outside of the courthouse yesterday and she spoke with some of Trump's diehard fans. Let's hear a bit of that. What brings you out today? Uh, to, to support our president, Donald Trump. All right. And yeah. why is that? Uh, because I feel like here in America, uh, it's just going in the wrong direction. And I feel like Donald Trump, he should be our dictator, basically. I think that he should be king and, you know, set things back on the right course. And what's the right course? The right course is a right-wing government, preferably Christian, uh, something that takes care of families, something that can improve our economy, schools, all that good stuff. So, Amber, are these Trump supporters indicative of some of the broader support we're seeing for the former president? It's a little hard to say. Over the weekend, Trump's former attorney general, Bill Barr, who was criticized by Democrats as making decisions in favor of Trump and is said he he supports Trump in a lot of these investigations, came out very forcefully on Fox News, saying that if half of these charges are true, quote, Trump is toast. I mean, it's a it's a pretty it's a very detailed indictment uh, and it's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt uh, is ridiculous. But Trump's Republican colleagues in the Senate have been pretty much muted. They're trying to say as little as possible. One reason why might be uh, what I've heard Ken Buck, a Republican in the House from Colorado, say, which is these charges are serious. This affects national security. I I think there were national security implications from having documents in an unsecure area. Um, I think that the the prosecutor um, really went into a lot of detail to explain to the American public why it was necessary to indict a former president. And Republicans have tried to fashion themselves as the party most interested 
in protecting national security. Uh, he's innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. um, after the trial, if he is convicted of these charges of, of mishandling this information, of, of knowingly concealing uh, his actions, um, I don't think, or I certainly won't support a convicted felon for, for the White House. And then you have this other faction of the Republican Party, which are the, the Republicans trying to win the nomination for president instead of Trump. I think there needs to be one standard of justice in this country. Let's enforce it on everybody and make sure we all know the rules. You can't, have you can't protect Democrats while targeting and hunting Republicans. This case is a serious case with serious allegations. But in America, you're still innocent until proven guilty. They, in all things, right, have to walk this really really tiny, teeny, tiny tightrope where they're supporting the president because the polls show a lot of Republican primary voters feel like that voter in Mar-a-Lago that Danielle talked to. But at the same time, they want to reflect that these charges are serious and that we've seen some very early polls suggest that the majority of Americans think he should be charged with crime if, if he did indeed have these national security documents and then lied about it. Yeah, the congressional response and also the 2024 presidential candidate's response has been so interesting. And you are seeing it run a bit of the gamut where you see them sort of calculating in real time how to respond. For instance, I don't know if you caught it, but Nikki Haley made remarks this week and, and said that this looks pretty reckless. If this indictment is true, if what it says is actually the case. President Trump was incredibly reckless with our national security. And that's something that we haven't quite heard from her. So do you think that as this goes on, you will see Republicans change their tune a little bit? You know, join Senate Republicans who are saying this is serious? I think it's possible. In that same statement, didn't Nikki Haley say, but I would pardon him? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> what? Those are diametrically opposed <laughs> things in one statement. And so I feel like a lot of these candidates are trying to hedge their bets in the event that they do need to start full-throatedly turning against Trump if this case, which is already uh, very detailed and the charges are very serious, he faces years in prison, if this case gets tougher and tougher for Trump to somehow wiggle out of legally and in the court of public opinion. I think they're trying to figure out what the Republican primary voter wants, just like we're sitting here trying to figure that out. So what are you watching for next in this case? I think the next questions are really basic ones, like when's the trial going to take place? It seems likely, Rhonda, this is going to collide with Trump's presidential race. Also, he has another trial in New York for these hush money payment allegations, those are state charges, in March. And that's right when the presidential primary for Republicans will, will be heating up, will be in the middle of it. So when is this trial going to happen? Is it going to happen in the fall? Say he's the nominee. Is that right before he's up for election against Biden? Is it going to happen afterward? Could it happen in January? Maybe if he wins, he's already president. And there, there are certainly ways for him to just push these charges to the side. So some really basic questions. My understanding is that his legal team and prosecutors and this Judge Eileen Cannon will figure all of that out behind the scenes. Then the next question is, what's a trial going to look like? It's possible that we have some really fascinating testimony 
against the former president because if our colleagues have underscored in reporting at the Washington Post, a lot of the evidence came from inside Mar-a-Lago. His body man, Walt Nada, his lawyer, Evan Corcoran, who is representing him in other cases, was taking notes on his iPhone as Trump was saying, why don't we just hide these boxes from investigators? He could be a witness in this trial. What does the jury look like? This is Florida, and our colleagues have reported that Trump's team thinks it's possible they could find and try to get one or two diehard Trump supporters on the trial that then hang the jury. And um, there's just so many unanswered questions. That's so true. And I would also add, too, there's the the Georgia case, the Fulton County, Georgia case, which we're waiting to see what that grand jury comes out with later this summer. Is there anything else we're missing? Well, what is what does Jack Smith do and look at with regards to this parallel investigation into the January 6th attack on the Capitol and efforts to overturn the 2020 election? This investigation is playing out largely in secret, but our colleagues have reported that Jack Smith could be looking at, maybe it's just one facet, maybe it's the whole investigation, into whether Trump's campaign illegally raised money based off an election lie by lying to supporters and then taking millions of dollars from them. Amber, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me on. Amber Phillips covers politics for The Post and writes the 5-Minute Fix newsletter. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Eliza Dennis. It was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Maggie Penman. If you love the show, help other people discover it by leaving a rating on Spotify or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Rhonda Colvin. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.